Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So money, money is one of those things that can cause a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress, uh, especially when everything keeps going uh, up and up and up and up, and uh, our pay isn't necessarily keeping up with that, right? And so this having come from really a place of where are people at in our church family? Where are we kind of just as a culture and thinking in the fall again, like, hey, these are, this is some things just like, it's causing so much anxiety. And I just don't feel like this is where God wants us to live with these kinds of things, right? Because if you think about the timeless principles of scripture and, and how old these stories are, these have always been problems, right? The issue of, of suffering and loss and money have always been an issue because they've always been a big deal to us. And so for us to be able to stop and slow down this year especially and say, okay, so our theme for this year is that we want to have like the gospel in real life, right? That means we want to take scripture and we want to see how it applies to changes and blesses our life, right? That's what we really want to try to see this year. And then to, to bring that to bear on a topic like this, I think is really, really important because money and peace don't have to be oxymorons, but they often are. And so the question I wanted us to, to just, just think about this series is what would it look like for you? What would it feel like for you to actually have financial peace? Because 100%, you see that over and over again in scripture. God talks a lot about money because he realizes it's a big deal. Everything swirls around this, right? It looks a little bit differently now than it did then. Not many of us are trading in sheeps and goats anymore, but we are still trading, you know, dollars for products. And so it's still a big deal, but what would it look like to really lean into what God has shown us in scripture and be able to do money his way so that ultimately, uh, as financial peace talks about, that you can be in a position to be crazy generous to other people, that you're not stressing out all the time because there's zero margin in your budget and in your money and in your income. And these are things, honestly, 100%, I wish somebody would have poured into me when I was younger. Like 100%, I wish somebody would have been pouring this stuff into me when I was younger to understand that God's peace really does extend to this area of my life as well. Um, But I just didn't. And so that's our our hope, our desire is to say at Quaybog Church, our mission is to be a place where we love God, we love others, and we help them start and grow a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that really does mean saying, okay, how does this stuff actually like apply to my life, practically speaking? I mean, that's a huge deal to say, I know what Scripture is saying somewhat. It can be kind of confusing, yes, but I know what it means for my life as well, which is also an important step. So that's kind of where we are in this series because... Like I said, we got inflation, we got energy, we got food costs, we got a looming recession possibly. Are we in one? I don't know. Let's figure out if we can like hash up the statistics. And it's like on and on and on this uncertainty with the market. And there's just, uh, there are lots of things that can cause this to not exist in our life. And so it's why we wanted to talk about it. Secondly, though, uh, why do we want to talk about this? We've been looking at it now for a few weeks. This is our third Sunday in the series. But what's normal in America? That and overspending are big time normal in our culture. So this is a big, big problem. Uh, I shared week one that as Americans, we are $16.5 trillion in personal debt, which means everybody in America, whether you're 100 or whether you're one year old, you're carrying, you've been tagged with $100,000 of personal debt. Like that's, like that's the weight, that's the size of the debt that we're talking about. And we talked about generationally, like what does that look like for each generation? How much debt are they carrying? And that really softened my heart to this topic because I realized debt, not wealth, is what's generational in our culture, right? We have it no matter if you're 75 and plus, still carrying on average, people that are the silent generation are still carrying on average $41,000 of personal debt. And so it's just something that's not going away and it's become normal. And it's like, okay, that's not peace. That's not the freedom that God offers. And there's no shame in this for anybody. I I don't want to hear a shame. I really do want you to hear, hey, God's got a better plan for this. And it's not normal. It's not what we live in. It's not the soup that we find ourselves in. Because um, I did just this morning, I was curious, how many ads do we see a day? So in 1970s, they did, marketing agencies did a study in the 1970s. On average, a person in America sees about, in the 1970s, about 500 to 1,500 ads per day right? 
That's a lot. That's a lot of ads to see because back then you had print media, you had TV, you had billboards, things like that, and then you had product placement things, right? And so they, they saw it that way. Fast forward to 2007, though, a little more recent for all of us. The average person was seeing about 5,000 ads per day because of digital media and digital advertising. Fast forward to today, estimates are that all of us sitting here, particularly if you're having a digital media use, you're seeing between six and 10,000 ads every single day of your life. And they've got high-end people marketing and like mental like magicians figuring out ways to siphon our money from us, right? Every single day. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse as we go forward. As technology becomes more and more ingrained in our lives, they're going to be more and more targeted in how they advertise to us to get money from us. And that is normal, right? So what we see everywhere, because think about how many ads. When I put on this vest this morning, what did I see as I threw it on? A name. No, this is, I don't know what it is. I don't even actually know what it is. So, ha, I win. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, you, I mean, at, they're on everything. They're not just putting it on there so it's helpful. Like, oh, what, who is, oh, that's who that is. No, they're trying to sell you and continue to sell you and keep you hooked. And so it's just, it's an onslaught all the time. And we don't necessarily know it because it's just normal. And we're being driven into this, like, you have to have everything. And here's the question I would love for you to consider for yourself. I got this from Andy Stanley. It's not uh, new to me or original with me. But he had this one word that he would tack on to, to questions surrounding really anything in his life. And here's how I want to apply this one word question to this particular thing. Do I need that really? Or, or check this out, don't miss this. Do I really need that? Or do I just really need somebody to see that I have that? That drives a lot of debt. It drives a lot of overspending because I need to have the right name on this or I need to have, I can't get a flat bottom John boat for like a thousand bucks. That's no good. I need to get like a $30,000 boat. We, this is something we need in our lives, honey. We need a boat and I need a side-by-side because, you know, the yard is big from the, you know, the creek to the house is like maybe a hundred yards and it's like, it's tough to get back there, right? And so we justify and we normalize just crazy amounts of spending. And so the question I think is really, really good on this topic today about possessions is do I need that really? Or do I just really need to know that I have this and I need people to see that I have this? And it drives a lot of this tension and the stress that we feel. But again, that's normal. And here's my question for all of us. Again, I wish I heard this stuff when I was younger, but no matter what age you are in here, what are we going to, like, what are we going to live in our own lives? Are we going to live normal or are we, we going to live like godly? Like, are we going to understand that like, man, God really does want us to, to, to win in this area of our life? Because here's an interesting stat from Dave Ramsey I saw. Again, this is one I wish, definitely wish I would have seen more clearly when I was younger. If you were at 25 years old, if you invest 100 bucks, just 100 bucks a month from 25 to 65 for 40 years, you're going to have over a million dollars. Based on the averages of the market for the last, you know, I don't know, nearly 100 years, you're going to get about 10 to 12 percent uh, on that. And all the bad years that we've had. And I'm just like, man, and my sister did tell me this. When I was 17 years old, she sent me a news article and she said, look, if you save, and I don't even remember what it was, X amount until whatever, you'll have a million dollars when you graduate. And I was like, that's cool. I don't even have a hundred dollars, you know, let alone scraping it together monthly. But this, like, but this though is 25, right? Like you're, if you went to college, you're out of college and like, and, you know, you're kind of a little bit more on your way, scraping together a hundred bucks and saying, I'm not going to have Netflix. <gasps> Gasp. I'm not going to have all these other subscriptions that I don't need. I'm not going to get coffee every single day. I'm not going to spend money just like all over the place, but I'm instead going to think about my future in a way. Why? I'm going to think about this in a way so I can be generous to other people. So when I get older, I can be that person that can just crazy bless people. Like on the sly, anonymously, oh, hey, there's a need. I can take care of that because I've been trying to live my life by godly principles my whole life, right? And these are things I just didn't get. And it doesn't matter where you are in the process. You're like, well, I'm already 60, so forget this message. I'm out today, Kyle. Like, <laughs> let's not think that way either, right? Let's, like, understand, though, that we have godly wisdom that we can pass down. Because God does say, manage your assets. Don't just sit on your assets, right? I want you to manage them well, and then I want you to bless other people because you've been living a godly lifestyle that doesn't say me, me, me all the time. It's part of our nature, and we're being fed at big, big time in the world that we live. So it's just one of those things, like what's normal and what's godly. So some principles from this series, in case you haven't been here for all of them or don't remember. Uh, the first week we talked about this one here is being foundational. 
The money isn't ours. We're just managing it. Now, how does this help us? How does this help you look at that? Well, if I believe that somebody that really cares about me gave me something and wants me to take care of it, man, I want to do that to the best of my ability. I'm not going to be all willy-nilly. If somebody here says, hey, Kyle, can you take this $1,000 and invest it for me? I'm not going to go out and be like, well, that sounds like a brand new something or other to me, right? Like that, that wouldn't be cool at all, right? And I wouldn't want to think that way with somebody else's stuff that I'm managing. And so if I see that, it, it helps me be less greedy. It helps me be more generous. And also it helps me not freak out as much. True story, right? In my own life. I've gone through a lot of things where Brittany and I were like, oh man, like when we moved up here, we went from two incomes to like all that being cut right in half. And all of a sudden now we're going to have to make all these major lifestyle adjustments. But we had all this stuff in our past that we knew that God always took care of us. And that was just like, everything I have, Lord, is a gift from you. And I know you're going to continue to take care of me. It totally changes the way that we fear about money and the anxiety we fear about, feel about the future. Because we can say, no, 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 I just, I know this, everything I have is a gift and I want to take care of it well second week, what we looked at was wisdom and community are really, really important. Um, I think that, again, you can have a lot of information about a lot of wrong stuff, and now you're very knowledgeable about useless things, right? Or totally wrong things. And wisdom, though, will teach you what to do with that knowledge that you have to either discard it or say, no, this is good. Wise community, godly community uh, is going to be really, really important. I love watching people, period, that are really good at whatever they do. I was over at Rico's house the other day. Watching somebody that knows how to cook really, really well is really, really cool for me. Again, I don't care what you do. If you, Well, maybe that's too far. If you're like doing some stuff really, really well, I, like, I love to watch and just see and learn how those people do that. And to watch him cook, it's such an art, and he just has like an intuition about it. And I'm just like, I don't know, just turn the microwave on, man. That'll be... We'll probably get it done in there, you know. I'm not that bad, but, you know, it's like there's such a different level. So I love watching people, but especially with, with, like, finance stuff. I love watching people that have not made a lot of money in their life, but they've gotten to the end of it, and they're just like, man, I'm, like, I'm so at peace. I'm settled. I'm happy with what I got. It's crazy inspiring to me. And then I also love people that have done really well, and then they're just, like, ridiculously generous. It's like that's, for me, I love watching people. That's the value of godly community for me, and it's shaped the way that I think about the things that I need. And the way that I like, consider, you know, what I have to have in my life or not have to have. It's godly wisdom that we can glean from other people. And it's why we're doing Financial Peace University. So that even if you are later in life, you can say, hey, I've gleaned some wisdom from community. And I can pass that on to somebody. Or if you're younger, you can be like, hey, I've got a roadmap. Literally, a roadmap is what Financial Peace University is. It's a step-by-step roadmap to being in a place where you find financial peace. It's amazing. Like, it's, like, it's really, really good for anybody that's walked through it so far which I have. And so wisdom and community. And then this week, our point for today is that, uh, and this is a tough one, is that you are more than your possessions. But we live in a society that says you're not, right? We are identified by our possessions and what we have. And so this is what we're going to tackle today and kind of think about um, what it means for our lives. Because here's the thing. Think about this. I don't know about you, but when I first watched what was happening in Ukraine and I saw these parents, most often mothers that were now going to be single for a while, taken off and running with their kids. And what did they have? Backpacks with all that they owned at that point now. And I wonder, if your life was reduced to that, what would you grab out of your house? What would be that important? Because all of a sudden, everything else that seems so important now is not. Everything that you thought you had to have now is not important at all. And it was a, it's like a, just a line of reckoning. And I think our soul is to look at that kind of stuff and say, man, what can I glean and learn from that? Because we, we run the rat race and trying to get and get and get and get and get. But man, if it all fell apart, if God just said, here comes calamity, here it is in your lap, what's important at that point? And that's, I think, what we need to think about with our possessions and like, think biblically about that because if you are going to go to a character in the bible like we said it's going to be job who walked through this stuff and suffered unimaginably right that's why his story endures the way it does because it handles this question why do bad things happen to good people it wrestles and wrestles and wrestles and wrestles with that question why do bad things happen to good people and that is not an easy question to try to wrestle with. I've sat with parents. Kyle, why did my child have to die? 
there's no way ever for me to answer that in a satisfying way. There's no way I can just be like, oh, well, here's why. To a parent who's walked through that or other tragedy that's come on people. Why would this happen? And then the follow-up that I've gotten before in that same situation. What did we do to deserve this? That's impossible. That is impossible. And Job wrestles with that. He sits in that. And it's like, that's where I want to like land this morning. And it's heavy. And really only a slice of it. I just want to look like with our possessions. Like, we're going to look at Job's story. But really we're going to focus on like, uh, like, let's look at his story. The totality of it. And then just think, okay, what about just my possessions? Like, what if it was just that section? How, how would I handle just that one piece of that difficult pie? Because I think it might be one of the most fascinating, confusing, and difficult books in the Bible. And I found this quote I wanted to read because I think this like, just sums up the, the pain in this book from this guy, Roy B. Zuck. He's a, a commentator. He's a theologian. He says, Job's intense suffering was four things. It was financial it was emotional, it was physical, and it was spiritual. Everyone was against him, including, it seemed, even God, whom he had served faithfully. Yet Job was a spiritually and morally upright man. Could any suffering be more undeserved? Should not such a righteous person be blessed, not badgered by God? The fact that Job, an outstanding citizen and upright person, had so much and then lost so much makes him a supreme example of affliction that defies human explanation. Like, this is a heavy book. And so the basics of the story, in case you didn't know, again, it addresses that, why do bad things happen to good people? It, it wrestles with that big time. But the, the basis of it is, though, and this is a very convicting question, and we're going to read this first in a second, but here's a good question. I'd love you to let settle in on you. Are you, are you like, do you follow God only because of the good things that he's given you? Because that's the accusation that Satan makes, makes against Job. Look, God, the only reason he loves you, the only reason he belongs to you and is so faithful to you is because you've been so faithful to him. You take away his material blessings, you take away the stuff in his life, the protection in his life that you've offered him, this hedge of protection, you've, you take that away and you allow the bad things to actually happen to him instead of just babying him, then he's going to curse you. Then he's going to hate you because you've been holding back, right? You've been the dam against the bad stuff in his life. You stop doing that and he will hate you. Is that true for you? If God, if God removed the dam and just said, okay, I'm going to allow some suffering in, would you be like, forget you, God? And would that, that be the end of your faith? Because that's the accusation that Satan makes, first and foremost. And then he does allow, he does pull his protection back and we see Job's life fall apart. But here's the thing, though, about Job. And I don't want us to miss this about Job. God knew his character. God knew who he really was deep down inside. And God was looking right now at Job in this story, and we're going to get into this in a second, saying, is this a man that I can teach a 4,000-year-old message with? Because people believe Job may have lived around the time of Abraham or maybe even older. So, because based on the historical evidence of the things that they talk about, the, like, this, the way the language is used, even though, like, the poems that are used, like, there's so much in Job that they're saying, okay, historically, maybe Abraham, maybe even older than that. So if that's the case, God's looking at a guy like Job and saying, who can I teach a valuable 4,000-year lesson with? Well, it's a guy like Job. It's a guy that's got the character and the, the moral strength and the integrity to do something that's going to be very difficult, but it's going to be a tale that lasts. It's going to be a story that lasts and endures and has truth for everyday people. And he's, I think, the supreme example, too, of saying um, everything I have is a gift from God and I want to manage it well. That's what I see happening in Job, like a supreme difficult example of that. And so we're going to jump into Job's story today. We're going to wrestle with why do bad things happen with good people. And then we're going to say, okay, let's look at this bigger story. But again, like I said, let's look at just one slice for us personally today. What if it was just our possessions? How would that affect us? And so we're going to be in Job chapter one. And this, we're going to read some verses from verses one through 13 here. But in verse one, we get to set up right away. Who is this guy, Job? There was a man in the country of us named Job. He was a man, three things, complete integrity. He feared God and he turned away from evil. This is something that's going to come up three different times in this story. He was a man of complete integrity. 
He feared God and he turned away from evil. So this dude is legit a good guy. Like legit. And that's, I think, the, the really difficult part of the story is that's how they introduce him. It's not like we have to kind of glean this. It's like, no, verse one, this guy was a really good guy. And it sets us up for all the stuff that's about to happen to this really good guy. And so then it goes on. Okay, well, that's his character. What kind of stuff did he have? Well, he had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. So this guy was crazy wealthy. If you put this in today's terms, because most of us don't have camels anymore, um, you're going to be looking at an estate worth, you know, 50 or 60 million dollars. So this guy was insanely wealthy, as we're going to see, like God had put the protection around him and just wildly blessed his life. And so not only that, though, not only is he wealthy, but next verse. No, sorry, go back to the other one. My bad, you already had gone ahead. And at the end, he says, Job was among the greatest men among all the people of the East. So not only did he have status and position and like because of what he had financially, but just people looked to him. He was a great man. So this is who he is. And it's just right away we get this in the first six verses. So here we have in verse six. Now we jump to a heavenly scene and we see this scene play out. And it's a difficult one. One day the sons of God or angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan was also with him. He came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Now, this is not like God didn't know. This is a, like, you need to explain yourself. And here we are, here we get into the, the difficult part of this story, like the really heavy part of this story. And Satan says this, from roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. So you can think First Peter 5, 8 here. First Peter 5, 8 says this very thing, that we need to beware of Satan because he is a roaming lion, or he's a roaring lion looking for those he can devour. Now, this sounds very casual, though. Like Satan's like, oh, I'm just roaming around with my hands in my pockets, just kind of cruising the earth, you know, just checking things out. That's not at all what we're talking about here. This statement, culturally speaking, you can see this all over the Old Testament. God would tell the people of Israel, wherever you set your foot, you can basically know that you now own that land. This is like an idea that as they're going into the promised land, it keeps getting repeated over and over and over again, that wherever you set your foot. So culturally speaking, this is like, this is speaking to their culture and not ours. He's basically saying, I'm walking around on what I own. Like I own everything. Wherever I'm walking, that's because I own it, right? So this statement from Satan, this, this kind of arrogant statement is answered in a way that's very, very difficult and very hard to understand because the next statement that God responds with have you considered my servant Job? And this is one that's like heavy to wrestle with. It's like, okay, so verse one and two say this dude's like an awesome guy. And then all of a sudden it's like out of nowhere, God's like, oh, have you noticed Job? Have you noticed Job? And so though it's difficult, though it's hard to understand, there's a couple things that are happening here that are subtle, but easy to read over. First and foremost, God is letting Satan know. He's like, look, no, you don't own everything. You are not in complete control. This is not yours. These people are not yours. Job in particular is not yours. But he's also saying, he also knows that Job is the kind of guy that if, if the dam was removed, right? If the protection was removed, that's just part of the story we always, always, always overlook. That the dam was always there. That Satan points it out. That this protection had been there and God had been blessing him in his entire life. And the question is, well... If it's removed, then what? Right? Then what? So God is saying, I know if I do remove the protection, this is a guy that's going to teach a 4,000-year lesson. Like, this is this kind of man is who Job is. So no one else on earth is like him. A man of, again, it's repeated from verse 1, perfect integrity, who fears God, and turns from evil. So this is, uh, this is something incredibly important, but incredibly difficult that's about to happen. And so Satan, in verse 9, is going to answer the Lord. So, and here's, the, here, here's where it is. Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him? So if you've ever heard people pray for a hedge of protection, that's what they're talking about right now. Because I used to think hedge of protection, like, what's that? Like, oh, man, wow, that was tough. You know, I never wanted that. But it's like the, the realization, though, that it's talking about this, just this barrier of protection that God has put in somebody's life. And he says, look, if you remove that, and then if you go after him, you go after his household, you go after everything he owns. Look, 
if you, you've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land. But, and here's the, what we have to wrestle with, but if God removed that protection from your life today, 2023, but stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely cause, or he will surely curse you to your face. And verse 12, very, Lord, very well the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself so Satan left the Lord's presence. One of the most difficult little chunks of Scripture, I think, in all of the Bible, because you have this back and forth, because he's going to lose his earthly possessions, everything that brought him wealth. Next, we're not going to read this section, but next, like, he goes after his kids, so he's going to lose his family as well. And here is Job in the midst of this just awful, dark, miserable place. And this is like, this is where the story really comes to a climax. It's like, okay, well, now what? Now the, the hedge of protection has been removed. And again, we can't forget that part of the story. God has always, always, always blessed him. And is Job just going to say, well, that's what I expect? In America, we've been blessed for a long time. Is that what just we're going to expect? And then if the protection was removed for some reason and God just allowed something bad to come into our life, do we then curse God? So we see that happen. And then in response to this, because this is all really, really heavy, but here's Job saying one of the most profound, difficult confusing, baffling things about suffering. He says this, Job does. He stands up, he tears his robe, right? Culturally, that's what they did. And he shaved his head. He's absolutely distraught and miserable. And he fell to the ground. And what did he do? He worshiped. What do you mean he worshiped? Like, how can you go through that? I don't know that I could lose everything I owned and my family and just my first response be like, now I need to worship my Jesus. I need to turn on Caleb and I just need to start singing along about the goodness of God in my life. Like, you know, what does that even look like? What does that even look like, feel like? And then what we see, we're given a glimpse. He says, what we read this morning, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I'm going to leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And then what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of us grew up singing that song right there. He gives and takes away. Right when I was a kid, I remember singing that song. Like when I first started going to church and singing that song, and then eventually it dawned on me. I was like, "Wait, what's this whole takeaway part?" You know, I didn't realize it came from the Book of Job because you know I was I didn't grow up in church, and so. But eventually, it was like, "Oh man, yeah, I guess I have to think that way." Like God's going to give me gifts, and God sometimes is going to take them away. He's going to allow things into my life that are not gift, gift, give, 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 give. Like that's going to happen. So again, think about this idea of why to bad things happen to good people how does that land and it's the most i think this right here is the most incredible view that we'll ever see of it's not mine i'm just managing it like this idea right here and then at the the next slide here he says throughout all this all this job did not sin or blame god for anything he knew that he was more than just his possessions. He knew he was more than just this life. He had that kind of integrity and character and relationship with God that as things began to like completely unravel, he would go there. However, however, and this is why this is such a human story. This is a painful story. His wife responds in a way that is completely understandable, completely natural. And in Job chapter 2, his wife, after all these things have happened, replies with this. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Why don't you just curse God and die? Like, that's painful. That is hugely painful. I can't imagine if Brittany was like, things start going south in our life. She's like, you know what, Kyle? Man, I think you should just curse God and die. It's like, okay, it's not bad enough. Now I got that happening, right? And so this isn't even before his health starts to fail him. So his whole entire life is unraveling right in front of him. But in response to this, Job says, and again, it's like this pain that she's screaming out. He says, you speak as a foolish woman speaks. And not that women are foolish. He's, if this is a guy, he'd say a foolish man speaks. But he's just saying, you're being foolish. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? That is perspective. That is the guy that is absolutely grateful for all the gifts that he's been given. And he realizes that he's been blessed. But we oftentimes... We kind of skip over all the good, and then when bad comes, now it's like all God's fault. We're angry with God. Why would you do this? Why me? And it's like, and those are legitimate questions. And I think the book of Job wrestles with that in a way that shows us we can ask that of God. God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand why you would do this. Why would you allow this into my life? 
I loved you. I've tried to do the right things. I've tried to be a good person. And yet, and it's like, and there's where Job is in the midst of that to say, what, am I only going to expect the good and not expect adversity? And it's like, man, that is a heart check right there. Could you say that if something tragic came into your life? If God pulled back and just, and just let adversity come into your life, could you say, I got to accept the good with the bad, just like he's done now twice. And that's a huge tension and an extreme example. Again, I think of of understanding God and understanding our possessions and our lives and what it means to to be human and what it means to struggle with evil and, and bad stuff. Because for the next basically 38 chapters, he does this. He goes back and forth with these three friends that show up and they wreck him. I mean, they just go after him. Like, look, your life is falling apart because you've done something wrong. Why don't you just confess it and get over it? And he keeps stubbornly saying, no, I'm not going to do that. I've not done anything wrong. And then as it goes on, Job turns from God, why is this happening? To God, I'm demanding an answer of you. And that's where things get a little dicey for Job. When he starts to take that mentality with God, because he begins to forget a little bit. Hey, look at all this goodness in my life. And he just, the pain of what is happening is settling into Job's life and heart. And he's being badgered to death by his friends. And then his wife's also not helping. And so he's got all this stuff going on. And so he demands of God an answer. And God answers like this in chapter 38, verses three and four. It's the first, it's the the first uh, shot that God gives him. He says, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Like those are not words I ever, ever, ever want to hear from God. Like stand up like a man. You're going to have to answer me. Like, "Mm, I'd rather not. I'd much, much rather not. And when I question you, you're going to answer me now. And then he does this. And for four chapters, here's what God does. Go to the next uh, slide there. He says, where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. That's a huge question. Where were you when I established the earth? And this is where the pain and the suffering and like the the living and the hurt, this is where like it all comes down. Because God essentially for four chapters is going to ask Job, do you know what it's like to create the stars in the heavens? To hang them there, the Pleiades, like he gets into all this stuff. Do you know what it's like to control life on earth? Job, do you understand what it's like that every person's decisions are going to echo out infinitely and they're going to affect other people's choices and that's going to echo into the future and like how everything affects everything else i'm going to take you to the grandeur of outer space i'm going to take you to creation itself and then the finiteness of life here on earth and the decisions we make joe can you understand any of that can you see life from the perspective of eternity and in a way it's a rebuke from god but it's also like hey job can you see this picture from my vantage point? Like, do you know what it's like? Like everything that's going on, there's so much more going on than you could ever, ever understand, even in your suffering. And after he does that for four chapters with Job and just says, and just keeps asking him these types types of questions, Job then responds and he says, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, things too wondrous for me to know. And he finishes and he says, I have heard reports about you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I reject my words and I'm sorry for them. I'm dust and ashes. It's like he just realizes like, man, I am so finite and so little. And this life is really important. But man, there's like, there's so much more going on. But here's what I think is interesting. Verse five there. It's like he knew God. But because of his suffering and because of like God just like opening his eyes to like, there's more going on here, Job, than just what's happening right now. Somehow through his suffering, somehow through his friends, you know, just beating him up, somehow through the rebuke of God for four chapters, he gets to a point where he actually understands God better through that suffering. And that's like, there's a, man, there's difficulty there because Job never really quite gets an answer for God, why did this happen? Like that, that clarity on that answer never really happens. There's a nuance there that happens from this, this whole book that I think even as readers today, we need to be willing to read that book and kind of like just sit in Job's pain with him, sit in that reality with him and move forward and listen to how his friends react to that. Listen to how God reacts to that and what he tries to show him through this suffering and through God's answers that he responds to here. 
I think that there's lessons that we can pull out of that rather than God just saying, okay, Job, this is why this happened. This is why specifically this happened. But his relationship with God, it's like it grew because of that. Because what I don't want us to see in Job's story is that after this, God does restore Job. But I don't want us thinking that this is just something like, oh, okay, if, you're, if you can just be good, if you can just hang on, God's just going to pour financial blessing all over you, just like Job. That's the moral of the story. Just hang on, and God will eventually dump blessing all over your life. Like That's not, that's not the story. That's not the point of the story. That is what happened to Job. But if we go too far with that, that's like health and wealth gospel type preaching. Like, if you just do X, Y, and Z, God's going to, like, pour blessing out on everybody here. If you just give more and you do more and you jump through the right hoops, there'll be Ferraris in every driveway. The problem is, like, on those churches, you don't see Ferraris filling the the parking lot, do you? You don't because it's malarkey, right? Just because you jump through certain hoops does not mean God is just going to dump financial blessings all over you. It's like, wow, Malachi 3 says so. And it's like, well... Let's read that in context. Let's see the people that he was talking to and the purpose he had in that. I do believe, like Jesus says, if you can be trusted with a little, you'll be trusted with more. I do believe that. But that's a hard thing about generosity. That's about managing well, right? Not sitting on your assets. That's like doing what God has called you to do, right? With what he's blessed you with. Because as Job ultimately knows, everything he had was a gift from God. And this lesson right here that we see, I think first and foremost some lessons from Job. I think first and foremost, this one is what I just, I feel screaming at me. Who, who we are, who I am is not defined by what I have. And that's a really difficult lesson that I am more than anything in this life. And again, if we're just going to look at it through the scope of just like the one small piece of the puzzle, one small piece of the puzzle, Job's loss was like just so total and just so devastating. But if we just took one small piece of that and said, okay, what about me and my possessions? Like, if I lost them all, where would I be next? Job knew that what he had wasn't his. Like, he really saw that as a gift from God, and he says it specifically twice. He totally understood that God had been caring for him and blessing him all these years. So when tragedy struck, it wasn't the end of the world, even though it was kind of the end of the world, because he understood that God had taken care of him all these years in his life. Next, what do we see happening in Job? This is a hard one to swallow. Misfortune does not mean that God has forsaken you. But if you kind of buy into like a health and wealth gospel, it's like, well, I guess so. Because if I'm not being financially blessed, like his friend said, you must be doing something wrong. And that's what health and wealth gospel teaches. If you are not being financially blessed, that means you are living in sin somehow. You have something unconfessed. You're not jumping through the right hoops. And it's so unhealthy and, un- and just damaging to people. Yes, God will bless you, but it's not because you're jumping through hoops necessarily, right? And so after that, the next one, through loss, again, we talked about this one just now, Job better understood the majesty and loving care of God. And that's, these are all really, really hard lessons for me like personally, because I'll be honest, uh, this week, and Tim knows, I've been like unsettled about this message all week long because Job is such a hard book. And the idea that financial chaos may come into our lives and then preaching about it and saying, but God still got you. That's a difficult thing to even talk or think about to say we can trust in God that way. And even last night, like when I laid my head down on the pillow, I was like, Lord, can you help me with this message? I'm still feeling like ah, unsettled on the drive in this morning. I was like, Lord, maybe I could just preach something else. Like, honestly, there I was like 445. I'm cruising in here and I'm like, so Lord, what else you got for me? You got something else I can preach on, like something happy and good, like maybe a little health and wealth. Maybe we could throw that out there this morning, Lord. And he's just like, nope, nope. These are hard lessons that, that, that are all across the Bible that we need to know. And I think if we don't, we have unrealistic ex- expectations of God. We miss the goodness of God. And then we get angry and resentful. And then we disappear. And our faith is just like, Phew. and then the last one, this uh, or the second to last, you and your relationship with God are more important than anything else you'll ever possess. And then this last one, bad things do in fact happen to good people. All across the Bible, general principle, if you do good things, good things will happen. But all across the Bible, you see this. Bad things are going to happen to good people. And for some reason, people have thought that the Bible teaches the opposite of that. But you see that all across the Bible. And this is one huge story about just tragedy will strike. It's going to come every now and then. And where will you be when it does? 
Will you remember the goodness of God as Job did? That's a hugely strong thing to be able to do. And that's why Job walked through this, because he was a guy that God could use to teach a 4,000-year-old message to us today about the goodness of God, his provision, bad things happening to good people. And so make it personal. Here's a, a question like, I just want you to think about before we watch Terry's video. Terry did our video this week for us. What if you defined yourself by your possessions and then lost them all? It's a very personal question to ask, to wrestle with and say, okay, just to make one little slice of the pie, what if that happened to me, just that one section? What would happen to my life, my faith, my, my belief that God is good and can take care of me, the majesty of God, the bigness of God, the bigger story than just myself? Like, and this is real suffering we're talking about. I'm not saying theoretically in your life, like for real suffering, financially, possessions. What would happen to your faith? So Terry, I interviewed her this week, and if you don't know Terry, she likes not a lot of things, but she likes a couple things. Terry doesn't want a bunch of stuff, right? And so possessions uh, and living simply for her and Dean are a big deal. And Dean has joked many times over the years that Dean is, or Terry's had to badger him into understanding he doesn't need more stuff. He still thinks she's wrong, as far as I know. <laughs> right. But Terry is steadfast in her belief that if you live simply that produces a lot of really incredible fruit in your life. And again, to take us back to the beginning of where we talked about this morning, what is normal in our culture is more, more, more. If you can't get more, just go into debt to get more and then overspend on top of that and enjoy it the entire entirety of your life, right? That's just going to be the way we live, right? But Terry has a message for us that uh, is right out of scripture. It's about our possessions and our attachment to those things. So Terry McIsaac.
Terry, we should have had you up here preaching all these years. Man. Oh, okay, sorry. I mean, no. So, uh, you know, the wisdom of people around us, I think, is really important. And thank you for sharing your guys' story because you've been consistent in that for a long time. Um, and if you know Dean and Terry, you know that they, they are able to, to do things that they wanted to do because they didn't do things earlier that they thought they needed to do, right? Um, but to close this uh, and just to think about some of these principles here, again, just to let them sink into our souls. Uh, Job understood this. Really, he did. The money isn't ours. Stuff isn't ours. Nothing is ours. We're just managing the good gifts from God for as long as we're able to. Second, wisdom and community are key. Again, that's why we're doing financial peace. It's why we're doing these videos each week so you can just hear from just a handful of people in our church about their journey. Most of the time, it's just about simplicity. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but three weeks now, everybody has kind of had that same vibe. Like just, what don't I need? Do I need that really? Or do I just really need to have people see that I have that, right? That's some of the things that these people have been wrestling with and just living out. Um, And then lastly, you are more than your possessions because we have to have that mindset that like what if we lost them does that mean we've lost everything does that mean hard times yes it does but what does that mean for who you are and your relationship with god and uh, i want to put one more question on here to end with just terry's video just made me think about this what kind of relationship do you personally have with your possessions i think this is a great topic to drive home and talk about right here, this question, like ask the person you drive home with, or if you drive home alone, think about this, uh, talk to somebody about this. I wonder what kind of relationship do I have with my stuff, with my possessions, with my 401k, retirement plan, wherever the thing might be. Like, do I hold on to these things loosely or do they define me? Is my relationship with God, as Satan accused, is my relationship with God dependent on those things? Or is my relationship deeper than that? Can it survive more than that? So, Tim, can you come up and uh, pray this out? So that's, again, that's why we're doing these Financial Peace University Connect groups. Um, over there is a QR code. Uh, we'll have some people helping you out. But we really, really, really believe in this. We want to invest in people so that they can invest and bless other people as well because this is the kind of stuff that grows generationally. Because as I said, we have a problem in America with generational debt. I'd love to see just generational financial peace, godly wisdom coming out of just little churches like this all across America would be an amazing thing. It would change the landscape, I believe, of America. All right, let's pray, Claybog. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Uh, your word is just truth. Uh, even in places like Job, where it's difficult truth. It's truth that uh, leaves us with maybe more questions than answers, but there's one truth that's true, it's that you're good and that you love us. So I pray that as we're uh, wrestling through this concept, what, what is our possessions? If there's something from you and we're just stewarding them, give us a heart that is generous, a heart that resists greed. Change our hearts now so we can be more like you. As we're going to be diving into all the financial piece, the logistics, the tangibles, God, go ahead of us and prepare our hearts so that our hearts are in a place so that we can do the thing to be obedient to you. We want to place that first, and we want to put our faith in the right places. And so we're praying that now, God, that you're preparing our hearts to be more and more obedient to you. And today, we're talking about that in our finances. But across the board, change our hearts to be obedient to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.